Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. If you appreciate our podcast, please consider making a contribution by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Enjoy. Entangling Vines, Case 6. Joshu's Let It Go. Genyo Zenshin asked Joshu Jushin, If I come with nothing, what then? Let it go, replied Joshu. But I have come with nothing, answered Genyo. How can I let it go? Then go on carrying it said Joshu. At this, Genyo was deeply enlightened. Today is day four of our harvest session. And life is full of surprises. This morning, when I looked out the window before morning service, after having been under cloud cover for most of the session, it was wonderful to see the stars. Very, very crisp, twinkling up there. It is something special to look at the sky and to see the stars. I've always enjoyed that. And Daibosatsu Zendo here is one of the most exquisite places to look at the sky and not be impacted by light pollution. In the city, you barely can see the sky. But here, there is no other way when it is clear it is right there. I hope you have all manifested the same clarity as the sky. Uh, and if not so, then maybe the fog has changed. Well, it could have gotten denser. <laughs> Mist. Mist, yeah. <laughs> Mist, yeah. We're getting wet too. But as long as things are moving, I think we are going into the right kind of direction of our practice. And so this koan is not chosen. It just came by mere chance of being case number six. We are going in order. In terms of giving Teisho, I have given up all preferences. Next will be case seven. And that's a wonderful lesson for all of us. Uh, sometimes, I mean, we don't get to choose what's going to happen next. But this is a wonderful cosmic lineup so that we get to hear Joshua's Let It Go.
before we go into the case, I wanted to remember ourselves of some, something that I talked about in the very beginning. And because today we had a, an example of what it means not to manifest together. I wonder if you can remember what, what I'm talking about. There were so many diamonds in the Diamond Sutra, yeah? that they kind of spread out all over. At times, I didn't know if it was going to be uh, Jikijitsu side against Tanto side, yeah? <laughs> who, who is going to win? But then in the end, what happened, everybody graciously yielded until we had one voice left and instantly we all latched onto that, yeah? <laughs> The teaching of non-attachment. So just make sure you're, you're not the last. Right? <laughs> Everybody will come at you. But from there, we recovered beautifully. Beautifully. And there is absolutely... Please don't think that I'm judging this as... I was really bad chanting. No, no. It's a wonderful lesson of what it means to manifest ourselves as individuals together in the common activity. It doesn't always go harmoniously, if you have noticed, you know. Here it's easier because we follow a specific, uh, a specific schedule and a specific way of doing things. But once you return to wherever you came from, or even here, you will run into these things where harmony is not manifest. But we were able to just adjust ourselves, give up a little bit of our own, because how silly would it be to sit there and claim, I'm at the right syllable, I'm just going to stick with this, screw the rest of them, you know? Nobody would have that idea on day four. <laughs> or oh, am I mistaken? <laughs> so what I wanted to say about it is something that is very practical. And it also relates to uh, the things that you hear that are talked about over and over again. So chanting and time... There's one thing that we cannot do or we should not do. Do not listen to the mokugyo. Don't listen to the mokugyo because by the time you hear it, it's over. You're late. So listening and then chanting or kind of waiting, oh, am I on? The right beat? Man, I don't know. Listening is not what we can do, shouldn't do. We have to, what do we have to? Become one with the thing. Because it, it's not erratic, yeah? It's not Morse code, yeah? It's, oh well, something. Yeah. Oh no, only in, in the solo. Right? <laughs> it gets to be more scored. But besides that, it's, it's pretty predictable. Right? 
And there's no need to listen to that. Yeah? <laughs> you can just become one with it. That's all we have to do. And then nobody will drag and nobody will go faster. The only person in power <laughs> will stick to the beat too. And if we just do that uh, and not listen but become one, then there is no more question of, uh, of leading and following. It's just a wonderful, beautiful together. In the end, it is the Sangha chanting who is playing the Mukugyo through the person of the Gyorin. That is when everything comes together. Together. We must become one with the drum. So that was the note about the Diamond Sutra. So let's look at who appears in this case today. The first person is Genyo Zenshin. And I promise to not dwell too long on the history, especially with him, because it's fairly easy. Genyo Zenshin, we know he was alive. We know that about when he lived, but there are no specific dates known about him. We know who his teacher was his teacher was the second person appearing here, Joshu Jushin. Besides that, we know really almost nothing. But there is one interesting tidbit that is noted about him somewhere. He kept pets. So he's one of those Zen ancestors who kept pets. And he fed them from his hand. Now, of course, this is a Chinese Zen master. Give it a wild guess. What were his pets? He had two. Chicken? Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. <laughs> chicken. No, not chicken. <laughs> not chicken. Tigers? Yeah, he had a tiger. And it said he fed it from his hand, not with. <laughs> so he fed a tiger. He had a tiger. But the second pet is to some people even less pettish. <laughs> Chicken, pigs. Uh, no, no hogs here. No hogs. But a very wonderful suggestion. Uh, no, a snake. A snake. Come here, little snake. Eat from my hand. What do you feed a snake? Dead mice? Chickens. <laughs> Chickens, yeah. yeah. No, hogs probably. You know. No. So he had a snake and a tiger. 
it's, it's, it's interesting what kind of information makes it over time attached to certain Zen ancestors. So a tiger and a snake. And as we learned today, uh, probably also pigs and chicken. <laughs> so Genyo Zenshin asked his teacher, his teacher, Joshu Jushin, if you've come here to Sashin, if you've read any books about Zen, you know about Joshu. This is the legendary Joshu. Yesterday's koan, remember, we talked about Daibai. And I mentioned that Daibai appears in two cases in the Shuman Katoshu, in two cases. Joshu is all over. You know, you find him all over in the Gateless Gate, the Mumon Khan, in the Blue Cliff Record, the Hekigan Roku. But also in the Shumon Katoshu, there are 23 cases in which Joshu appears. So don't touch that book. Who was Joshu's teacher? <laughs> it's not in the book anyway. Nansen? Nansen, yeah. Nansen is the connector between today's koan and the koan we had in the previous Teisho where Baso Doitsu appeared because Nansen was a Dharma successor to Baso. Joshu became a monk and a student with Nansen at age 18. And if you follow what happened to Joshu right in the first year when he became a student of Nansen, he had his awakening experience in that very year. Now, if he were like Daibai, remember what Daibai did? Yeah, he ran. He ran. Not Joshu. Joshu did not run. He stayed. How long do you think he stayed with Nansen? 40 years. 40 years. 40 more years after that. Nansen himself spent 30 years in a hermitage. And Joshu spent 40 years with him. That time must have overlapped. So this relationship between Joshu and his teacher was very strong. Very strong. 40 years of mutual interaction and encouragement. We all know Nansen for various things that also have to do with pets. <laughs> I'm not going to say it, not to upset those who love that type of pet, but it's not chicken and hogs. <laughs> and Nansen... 
and Joshua, they were just together all the time. Remember So and Shaku and his teacher that died. And the young students engaged in 49 days of commemoration, of mourning their teacher. Joshua followed a similar pattern. He tended the grave of Nansen for many years until he turned 60. At age 60, he still did what Daibai did. He ran off 40 years later. He went on a pilgrimage going all over China. So we have to take that as an instruction for ourselves. An instruction for ourselves not to just stop, but to go around in the world, wherever it might take us, to bring what ever we have had insight into in a place like this and turn it into something that is actionable. Actionable means manifesting. Remember, every morning we have Tore Enji, the Bodhisattva vow. It points in that same direction. Opening this Dharma, how does it end? The last two verbs that come there. Realize and actualize. So we have that relationship. Realization comes first, and then we are called to actualization, to bringing that what we have realized to some actionable way in this world. We had spoken briefly about Bernie Glassman. He was one of the Zen teachers who did that. He actualized it. He held retreats in the streets with the homeless so that his students who participated in those street retreats could realize what it means to be homeless. And then they could actualize their bodhisattva vows right there. It's very important. Realization enough is not enough by itself. And Joshua, who went on his 20-year pilgrimage from, years, from age 60 to age 80, even put it in a vow of his own to continue his studies. Actualization is a wonderful teacher because life shows us very clearly when our actualization falls short. And that is the refinement that we need because it will lead us to more realization. 
So Joshua put it like this. I will even ask a child of seven to teach me if their understanding is greater than mine. And I will teach a person of a hundred years if my understanding is greater than theirs. So the mutuality of being open to receive without discrimination from a seven-year-old child. Of course, that is just an image. Anyone can be our teacher. At the same time, we have to be open to share what we embody with anyone who could benefit from it. And who are we to judge if somebody could benefit from that? Let's be kind to some people. That's what it says in the Bodhisattva's vow, right? There's a special class of people we are kind to. Nah. We have to be open and kind to everybody. I will teach even a person of a hundred years So then when he turned 80, finally he settled down and became the abbot of a temple in a town by the name of Joshu. That's where all the Chinese masters get their names from, from the place where they actually resided and became famous for. So Joshu, after the place where he was the abbot starting at 80, he was a tough guy. I mean, he continued for another 40 years. He died at age 120. Sasaki Joshu Roshi, whose Joshu characters are different than this Joshu. I met him when he was 80. And he used to talk about, oh, is he going to die soon? You better hurry up quickly, please. His plan was to outlive, outlive his name, uh, his named ancestor, Joshu Jushin. He always said, I will be 126. But he fell short. He quit at 107. It was still amazing, the dedication. And that's why a picture of him is here on the altar. Whatever you might say about him, he dedicated his life to teaching in the same way that this Joshua we see in the koan dedicated his life to the investigation and the work with his teacher, with his students, with the world. 120. Now we are gliding into the field of the non-historical, where all the things get added. But the expression that is said about Joshua is that 
There was golden light coming from his lips. Light was emanating from his mouth. And what this was meant to express and is still is he, he wasn't using the stick. He wasn't beating people or shouting at them. But he had this penetrating verbal utterances. You all know the most important one, right? Come on. Hmm? Moo. Moo. <laughs> yeah, moo. Moo, that's the golden light of Joshu. Joshu's moo. In this case, he said a little more than one syllable. Uh, when he was asked by his student... Is it really a question? Do you think it's a question? Would you show up in Doksan with Shingyo Roshi and say, Hey Roshi, if I come with nothing, what then? <laughs> <laughs> maybe he, maybe Genyo Zenshin did that knowing that he wouldn't be whacked. Because others and uh, ancestors, I mean... At least 60 blows are in a question like that. But he comes. If I come with nothing, what then? Is it a question or is it an expression of his challenging his teacher to a dharma battle? You can see it either way. But if it were a question, then the koan probably would play out in a different way. So let's for now assume it's an expression of his understanding. Here I come with nothing. What now? And Joshu said, three times as much as Mu. Let it go. Why am I thinking of frozen? Hmm? Yeah. It's a movie. It's a movie for younger people. <laughs> and I happen to watch it involuntarily. <laughs> but there's a song in there, right? that became the craze with the, the young girls a couple of years ago after the movie. The princess, there's, there's some kind of princess. Everything she touches turns to ice, yeah? And finally comes the song, right? Let it go, let it go. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. I doubt that Joshua was singing. But he said, let it go. But I have come with nothing. I have come with nothing. Let it go. 
So the standard run of the mill interpretation here would be that Genyu Zenshin actually did not come with nothing. Remember what Bernie Glassman said. Many people come to the Zen Center because they think they will get rid of all their problems. What we really should get rid of is the idea that you get rid of your problems. If you come and say, I come with nothing, you are carrying something with you. You're carrying with you some idea of what nothing is. I have come with nothing. Let it go. Very similar to the wild ducks that flew off yesterday with Basel. With the nose twist. Speaking about it already means that we are not with it anymore. Does that make speaking bad? Oh, no. Think about love songs, about music, the let it go song. It's not the experience itself, but we can relate to it when we had love in our lives when we had that experience of letting it go. So words are good. That's why I'm reading them to you. That's why we have the words in this tradition. So we can sing this song that is unsingable together. So but the teacher, Joshu, instructs his student, Genyo, or... This is the real question. Let it go indicates while well, you are holding on to something, Genyo. But teacher, <laughs> I have come with nothing. Confirmation. Yes, he has something that he carries around. How can I let it go if it is nothing? Joshua says, then go on carrying it. This mind is Buddha. Not mind, not Buddha. Let it go. (laughs) I can't let it go. Well, then carry it. Opposites or not? Well, again, you got something out of it. He had some deep insight. This koan reminds me of, again, what I had mentioned yesterday about Shotai Choyo. Sometimes pronounced as setai choyo, the long nurturing of the sacred 
embryo of the sacred fetus. The ripening of insight, the ripening that brings us from realization to actualization. And one of, of the things that it brought up to me was that ripening, we all experience it. We all experiencing what that kind of ripening means by a process that we call aging. And it is not just the ripening, but we are the embodiment in this case of the ripening of time. Our bodies that become more and more decrepit are a very real embodiment of the ripening of the activity of time. Spend some time on that while you are on your cushions. That is not only a realization but an actualization of a cosmic, universal truth and activity that we cannot escape. So, that ripening of an insight, though. We don't know what Genyo did after this. It doesn't say if he ran off or if he went to the woods. But we know he got that tiger and the snake somewhere. But if you look at all the other ancestors that we hear about, there are many examples of taking time after being in a place like this for a long time, after having some kind of awakening, some kind of insight and spending it in the process of integration. Let's think about a couple of examples. In the dining hall here, there hangs a big painting of a fairly rough-looking guy. And he's holding melons in his hands. Did that ever come to your mind, that painting? Did you ever look at it? Yeah? You know who that is? Shuho Myocho Zenji, also known as Daito Kokushi. We chanted yesterday Daito Kokushi Yuikai, his last admonition. So he lived under the Gojo Bridge in Kyoto after he uh, received the stamp of approval from his teacher. He lived there with the homeless under the bridge for a good number of years. I think it is, I, don't, I didn't write down the number, but it sounded to me like almost 20 years under the bridge with the homeless. That's why he looks like in that picture. I'll tell you the story about the melons another time. 
But he, he then, when he, after the, those 20 years, he became the founder of Daitokuji in Kyoto. His student, who was also chanted every night in the Teidai Denpo, Shuho Myocho Kanzan Egen, the founder of Myoshinji, spent eight years after he received Daito Kokushi's approval. Eight years in Ibuka. He was tilling fields and tending cattle. Again, <laughs> no chickens. <laughs> tilling fields and tending cattle. The person whose Bodhisattva vow we recite every morning, Tore Enji, he wrote a book that's called Mujin Toron, The Discourse of the Inexhaustible Lamp. And in there, he mentions a good number of ancestors who have spent time long nurturing of the sacred embryo, of the sacred fetus. One of these is Eno Daikan. Eno Daikan, the sixth ancestor. He went to the south for 15 years. We already heard today about Nansen. Nansen Fugan, 30 years in a hermitage. Who was the guy we heard about yesterday? Anyone remember? Daibai, Daibai Hojo. He went into the great plum mountains. Yogi Hoi. Yogi Hoi, who also appears in our lineage chant, lived in a hut. And in his biography, it says that in the winter, snowflakes bejeweled the floor of my abode. So there must have been either no, nothing in the window or the roof was not there. Snowflakes bejeweled the floor. And all of this was there for these ancestors to, to engage in the extinguishing any kind of self-consciousness of their realizations. Well, we don't have to go for 30 years into the woods. All we have to do is go back to where we came from. And there will be plenty of opportunities for us to extinguish any kind of self-consciousness of realization, of understanding, of, of insights, whatever it is. But it is very important that we stay open to it. Now, coming back to, if I come with nothing, what then? Do you think that Genyu Zenshin made that up himself? Or are there some previous teachings that talk about that? 
probably, right? Of course they are. There's a very famous saying that comes from, I believe it's the Rokusohohodankyo, which is the platform sutra of the sixth ancestor. And there it says, Honrai mu ichimotsu. Originally, not a single thing exists. Honrai mu ichimotsu. Originally, not a single thing exists. What does the Diamond Sutra say? It talks about composite things. It's just a name. It's just a name, like a flash of lightning reflecting in a dewdrop. Does that mean that this is not here? That your nose cannot be grabbed and turned and twisted by Basso or by, who's another nose twister? Hakuin's teacher, right? Hakuin's teacher. Shoju Rojin. Hakuin said something that was not to the liking of his teacher, explaining Mu, that it has no arms and legs. What about that? Makes it very real. Honrai mu ichimotsu, or originally not a single thing exists. If I come with nothing, what then? What could he come with? So the second kind of dimension of the koan is not just that. Joshu points out to his student, well, you have an idea of nothing. There's a second dimension that is a deeper level, again, of the same. Now, I have to use the word idea, I'm sorry, because it's the only words we can use. idea, yeah. At first an idea, but the more zazen you do, then it turns from a concept into a realization, an actualization in zazen, and ultimately into a fact. Into a fact. So the, the other point that we can consider for this koan here is that in Joshua's world, and Joshua stands for some awakened human being, which means all of us can have that same kind of experience, 
that same kind of awakening. And Joshua is the representative for that. So in that world of somebody who can actualize that, is there a difference between throwing away and keeping it? Can we throw it away? Can we keep it? So the level of teaching that is in a koan like that, there's so many, many facets that we can look at. And we have to use words. Here comes the student attached to some kind of idea of nothing. And he is met at the same level. Words, golden words that are emanating from his teacher's lips. Let it go. The student insists, but I have come with nothing. This is the thought again. How can I let it go? Deeply entangled still at this moment in dualism, this or that. Letting go is the opposite of having something. So I, if I have nothing, is the absence of something not having? Or can you have nothing? These are all questions. There's another koan that sounds very much like this one here. I don't know, have you encountered Mumon Khan, the gateless gate, case 44? Basho's staff. Master Basho said to his disciples, if you have a staff, I will give it to you. If you have no staff, I will take it away from you. This is a sibling, a sibling koan to let it go. I can't, okay, no. Well, then carry it on. If you have a staff, I will give it to you. If you don't have a staff, I will take it from you. Yesterday I mentioned about the breathing. Inhalation and exhalation happen simultaneously. Carrying on and letting go happen simultaneously. So what is the real thing that is being attached to here? What makes all of this relative? The Buddha has read it at least 15 times by now. Personality is separated individuality. Yeah. An ego entity. An ego entity. But if we don't have that, won't we all turn into just shapeless blobs? 
Is that the goal to turn into a shapeless blob? I mean, they already restrict us with hairstyles, right? But how much more shapeless can we get? Is there anything wrong with having an ego entity, a personality? No. We just have to be very careful where it comes into play. When you go into your boss's office to ask for a raise, you better bring an ego with you. Otherwise, you will be trampled upon. When you meet your partner, you better have a self. So, again, I hope you can feel the non-duality. So when we say that it's the not having, the letting go, and the carrying on, exactly the same thing. Both are really important at the places where they belong. In the morning we talk about the karma that has been produced and accumulated upon ourselves through our own egotistic attachment. And the key word here is attachment. We have to be very clear about what attachment means to us, you know? Attachment. See, when I pick this up here, I have to attach to it. Otherwise, I could not pick it up. But I attach is the wrong word. I would much rather say I make relationship for the sake of an interrelationship with some action that we together take. And when that relationship comes to an end, when I set it down, I'm free again. Now imagine attachment is different. Attachment is relationship that is stuck, that doesn't move. See, even having this in, if I have, if I attach to this and to this, I will have a very, very difficult life. (laughs) Very difficult. What should I use to wipe myself? (laughs) Neither one looks like a good choice. Yeah? Neither one looks like a good choice. So that's what stuck relationships do to us. Yeah? But when we relinquish it and we let it go, the attachment is gone. So there's nothing wrong about this kind of relational attachment. Only relationship that gets stuck turns into attachment. And think of the egotistic attachment that that are being talked about here. 
ideas. And the ego really likes those ideas. And it's very, very tricky, you know? The ego has two sides to tell us, please keep me around a little longer, yeah? One side is the boastful side. Oh, I'm so smart. I am brilliant. I'm worth nothing. I'm the most rotten person in the world. Keywords, keywords. I, I, I. And these attachments are specifically difficult for us because as long as we identify and define ourselves as that I. So let's look at what did Gensho Zenshin says. If I come with nothing, what then? So already nothing can be carried without a carrier. I wonder what Joshu would have said if Genyo would have said something that didn't refer to him. Nothing appears. What then? And it's interesting because this case six of the Shumon Katoshu, it also appears in a different koan collection which is the Shoyoroku, translated as the book of equanimity or the record of silence at times. Here in the Shumon Katoshu, Joshu is after whom the case is named. Joshu's let it go. In the Shoyoroku, the book of equanimity, in case 57, it's called Genyo's One Thing. Same, same interplay that we can see here. We are born with attachments. Is there anybody who was not born with attachments? Can you tell me the evidence that you were born with attachment? Yeah, you all have belly buttons. You all have belly buttons. And the first thing for us to survive, no, nobody is, is uh, Carrying their afterbirth with them? No? No? It would be rather obvious, right, by now? Huh? Oh, what is that thing you have there? It smells terrible. <laughs> it is cut, 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 cut. So in this practice, in this Zazen practice, when things come through your I don't even know what to call it 
when things enter you, when you become clear about certain things that appear to you like some, something that's still an umbilical cord that is attached to something really smelly. We are born with attachment. We survive through attachment. But we have to learn to refine it from attachment to relationship. And then with the relationship, letting go and carrying on become very natural. In your breath, if your breath is empty, how can you let it go? Have you ever tried to carry your breath on? I'm really fed up with exhalation. From now on, I will only inhale. Give it a try. Let me know when I want to watch. (laughs) So this practice of letting go, of carrying on, of having a staff, not having a staff. If this is Joshua's let it go, or if this is Genyo's one thing. It's all going to point to the same insight. And let us use this time together that we have until We have to follow the law, the dharma, of what comes together, goes apart. Let's make that together as a concerted effort of all of us together, of making that relationship. Realizing it to the level that we can, and actualizing it to the most generous level that we can imagine. Thanks for listening to this Zen Study Society podcast. If you found this podcast to be meaningful or helpful, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you and have a peaceful day.